Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good morning. Uh, it's Trey and, and Thaddeus right now. Stephanie uh, was able to make it today, but I I think she would be happy <laughs> uh, to be here and talk about it. Um, I'm sorry she's not going to be here to add, but at the same time, I think that uh, this will just be a springboard to other things that, that come with regard to looking at literature uh, from the se- that's out there from the secular standpoint and things that are available. Uh, Thaddeus found a, an article that kind of addresses family. I think it's actually, it's actually this article is titled How Families Contribute to the Rise and Fall of Civilizations, which I find interesting because... I think that the church would echo uh, maybe not exactly the how, but the fact that families do and the idea of family and the way families lived out do, uh, does and will. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, St. Paul, John Paul II has the famous quote, which is, as the family goes, so goes the nation. Right. So, And uh, let's let's just start out with a caveat. This, this uh, article is from... Uh, the, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, isi.org, is where you can you can get it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes of the podcast. But, uh, you know, it's that has a reputation of being a conservative organization. But, you know, let's remember, this is just uh, family and sexual morality. That is a, that's an area of conservative ideology that happens to be in, in, line with catholic truth right and it's and, and it's important to recognize one it's not a one-to-one correspondence it's just that area of catholic it, truth is what's it is being important affirmed by conservative thinkers these days exactly and i think it's i think it's i think it's important for us to remember you know catholics are not conservative or liberal they're catholic <laughs> and and so we met, we we in a dialogue with any culture have to be aware of what's being put out there have to be aware that there are some things that the church may agree with on the conservative from a conservative standpoint the church may agree from a liberal standpoint and there be some things that people will claim as catholic that indeed aren't catholic um because the church would say you could have a divergence of opinion on a particular topic right and so it's important, and I think that's part of what we'll talk about today. It's important for us to um, to recognize where things are similar, but they're similar not because they're the same. <laughs> they're two different um, ideas. In fact, the foundation, and we'll talk, actually talk about that and going through some of this, the foundation of it is different. The reason why they believe that, at least at its very you know, the depth of depths of why are different. Um, so anyway, uh, let's begin with a prayer and let, let uh, the Holy Spirit come and John Paul II to pray, pray for us and for our families, and then we'll get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Amen. Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. Holy Family Nazareth, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name Father, of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
So anyway, I, I, I think it's always a good exercise. We've tried to do it here over over the years where we where we look at something that's put out there secularly and and it's it's not only good to engage in comparison, it's also good, I think, to actually um, define and separate you know, where and why things are the way. Because you can agree with somebody, that's a starting point, on a topic, a conservative, secular, maybe even atheist, you could agree with on a topic. Yep. It's important to understand why they're saying that, and it's a good starting point, and then to understand why we're coming with the same answer maybe to that whatever that issue is um at the same time if if we're honest the church will sometimes agree more fully with a liberal view on right. some topics right. um than many conservatives would like to have so i think it's important with regard to the family to see where there are some um i guess commonalities right. between the secular conservative view of families and the impact that families have. Um, and then to be able to kind of purse out why, you know. Yeah. And this is good practice too for, you know, not falling into that trap that our civic culture seems to be locked in right now of political labels, ideological labels. And if, if some if if one finds out that the other is uh, X label and one is Y label, then you just you can't have anything in common with one another. You can't have any point of you know agreement, or you can't find any uh, reason to to come together and, and work together as as people of goodwill. And the the church has been, especially in the wake of Vatican II, you know, has been very firmly against that kind of of thing right. and Catholic social teaching especially admits of points of agreement with those from other faiths or no faith at all that the documents of Vatican II often call people of, of goodwill. Right. And that there's there's room and space to work with those people that Catholics don't agree with <laughs> with them on every everything. But you can find points of agreement and you can find ways to to work together, and I was I was talking. Um, it, it just happened. I was having um, breakfast the other day with with a good friend of mine. It happened to be on the feast of of uh, Saint Thomas More and, and Saint John yeah. Fisher, uh, and he's a big Thomas More fan. I, it's providential, I guess, because he was he was really had focused on him, and and what he was saying was, if you read Thomas More, um. He almost, not not to a fault, but 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 enough to kind of point out, he never, he would be honest, but he more often would find the good in somebody. He would start with and build on and actually put out there the good. So even Henry VIII, you know, say you'd be hard pressed to find him say something negative about Henry VIII, even though he firmly disagreed with him on some points. In addition, he would actually talk about the good, virtuous, whatever they are, attributes of Henry VIII, the same man who would chop his head off. I think that's more consistent with a Catholic way of trying to find well, what's the good. What, what is something that we can agree on right. that we can both say, hey, that's good about you and that's good about us. We have to know what that is. Just because we do that doesn't mean that we align ourselves completely with them. And I think we're in a combative society where and partially because we can't di dialogue because people tend to say there's no truth that exists and yeah. you know and so you know as pope john i mean pope benedict um talks about about moral relativism he says you know that if you get to fully relative where there is no truth there's no way to win an argument other than by power right because it's you know how do I win this argument if they're if they can't even say there's truth out there separate from me that we can both search for and find if we're honest with one another, and again I think that's just a, it's important. And, to and I've heard Father Mitch Pacwa explain it as if there's 
without objective truth, without a recognition of that, then there's no truth between two parties that say disagree and, and there's just a chasm. There's right. no there's no bridge between those two people to yeah. come to some kind of uh, compromise or live and let live. Well, that's what we were something. T- actually at the very end of our conversation as we were walking out, I, the, this discussion uh, came up and and he and he said I he reminded me that I, I think it was either Father Mitch as a professor or, or Mr. Bushman as a professor I can't remember, but but he's use one of their two names and then proceeded to say, he said, yeah, if, if you, if you get with, to an argument with that, he said, just, just let's stop. Let's go get a cup of coffee <laughs> and talk about the Astros or something. <laughs> I mean, cause there's, you know, it, it, what he was saying was that doesn't mean just distance yourself from somebody still, still stay in company and, and, and accompany them yeah. to use a Pope Francis term, but recognize that, until you can get to a point where you can agree that there is truth somewhere out there that is separate from me and what, what I think is true and you and what you think is true, there is actually a truth that exists that can be discovered um, that we might as well just – we need to stop talking about these higher-level things because we're never going to agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway – I just think that at this point in time in, in our culture, it's important to try to say that, to recognize that dialogue, and Pope John Paul II would say, we have, you have to dialogue and you have to start at where people are um, and, and recognize that all humans have similar, um, foundationally, they're, they're, they have similar questions about life. You know, why, why do I exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, every, you know, all those things are things that happen. So there's always com- some common ground to start with and that that's the way that we should be able to dialogue. So here, I guess what we're saying is we're not, we may agree with a lot of this that this person is saying, but I think we also need to be able to define and parse out mm-hmm. the, the differences or at least the extensions that go beyond merely yeah. what they're saying. But overall, this is going to be a friendly article, folks. This Absolutely, is going to be a friendly yeah. article. Yeah. Um, and I think a good place to start before we get into the article uh, let's let me read to you. This is twenty two oh seven in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right. And this is from the section the family and society. So this is the family and and the Catechism is saying this about all families everywhere at all times. The family is the original cell of social life. It is the natural society in which husband and wife are called to give themselves in love and in the gift of life authority stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitute the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity, brotherhood, within society. The family is the community in which, from childhood, one can learn moral values, begin to honor God, and make good use of freedom. Family life is an initiation into life in society. Let me, and then let me read one of those sentences again. Authority, stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitute the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity within society. Right, and the good professor and I would always say you got to define your terms. But part of defining those terms is, and this is why it's so important, when you hear the church say families, we're in a situation now where family, the definition has been changed so when, when I say family and the person that may be across from me says family, we may not mean the same thing. Furthermore, on, on authority, even in Jesus' time, and if you think about it, you know, authority, when they were asking to sit at his right hand and Jesus talks to them about, you know, unlike those people who are in authority who lord it over them, you know, if you want to be... First, you need to be last. You need to be the servant. Authority is for that. And I guess what I'm saying here is when you hear that authority, you got to understand what the church is saying. Authority is for at the service of those who, that they, who they serve. Unfortunately, often by definition, people wouldn't have a negative connotation today about what authority is. So I would say, the, let's 
I'll, I'll keep saying what I'm saying here and then back up. But authority, it's important to understand what authority is and what it is not. And then when it talks about family, the family as being a, a source of where people learn about authority or they're, they, they, they are put in a situation where there is authority, it's important for parents who are in the domestic church and meant to be signs of, of this in the sense of a sacrament, that we operate in authority over our children in a way consistent with the way the church operates or says it should operate over its family. Mm-hmm. So it's a long-winded say that we have to recognize that when terms are used that particularly if we're talking with somebody who's not of our faith, that we really do get some detail down. What do you mean by that? What is your expectation of that? What is family? Because that may be, we have to, you have to find common ground. You may, that, I think that's the problem with this age of Twitter, you know, the 140 characters and stuff like that. And the, we want simple answers, easy answers, and I think we get lazy, and it's more about packaging something pithy and snarky, you know, snarky. And again, I mean, I mean, some of my favorite writers are in the Catholic writers are unbelievable at being able to take an idea and condense it. You know, Peter Kraft is one that can can take an idea and condense it into a short number of words, and that's great. But most of us. <laughs> Myself included, as can be witnessed by this radio show itself, <laughs> have, to, have to have to have to use have to use a lot of words to try to make sure that people understand what what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, and that's where we get in trouble because I think what happens is emotion and power come from words, and if we don't back off of that and have a conversation with, what do you mean by that? And try to find some common ground. So, but that, but remember, go to the go to the catechism is always a good place to start about what we as Catholics believe. Yeah, and in in twenty two o two, quote, a man and a woman united in marriage together with their children form a family. This institution is prior to any recognition by public authority, which has an obligation to recognize it. Right, and there are and there are and there are things that are part of the and the church is the first to say there are things that that this world has autonomy over that, that God has relinquished, has said, this these are things that you can have control over, and that you can change as you wish, but there are those things that cannot be changed because God who in, who invented it, you know. Uh, says this is the way it is. And I had a discussion with one of my children this past weekend because he was talking about that somebody somebody was like these two guys were married, and I kept saying, well, they're not married. Well, he said, well, legally they are. And I said, no, <laughs> they don't have the authority to do what they've done. Now, this world may say it's legal, but... We can never say just because a judge says it's not within their authority to do it. That happens in the church, too, because a lot of people say they want the pope. And and in mainstream media, you'll have people say, well, the pope is going to change this. And oftentimes the pope, many popes have said, "You, you don't understand. I don't have the authority to change it because Christ established it. So there are things that a pope can change, but oftentimes things that people want them to change, they can't. So even the church has a sense of, I can change some things, but there are some things that I have no authority to change, even at the highest level. And that runs counter to what you see in, in positions of authority in secular government, who will say, you, can, uh, you know, if I want to change it, or I can get enough people to agree with me that I need to change it, I can change it and make it whatever I want. The church, the Pope himself, would say, there are things I cannot change. I mean, no matter how much, because it's not mine to change. That's right. That's right. And so 
again, those are critical points to understanding. There are things we can talk about as a parent with our children <laughs> that are changeable and adaptable to the circumstances and, and those things. Uh, but there are things that are non-negotiables. Um, anyway. So I, th- I think we've got, I think we've got the tablecloth out, the silverware, right, the, yeah. all the glasses are in place. We've got, we set the table. I, th- now we gotta, I, think. I think. Yeah, I think we did. So let's bring on, we, I think we can bring on the, the main course now. So this is an article by a, a, a professor named uh, Alan Carlson. And it's actually, it's a, just a kind of a summation of the work of a early 20th century, 20s, 30s, 40s, American sociologist, American immigrant sociologist, um, Carl Zimmerman, whose most famous work was Family and Civilization. It was published in 1947, so right after World War II. Right. And basically, the, art, the article's author is saying this sociologist, this famous sociologist um, who founded the Rural Sociological Section of the American Sociological Association. So he was a, a kind of a, you know, founding player in American sociology. I, I'm sure that you could say that. Yeah. That the Zimmerman, this this Carl Zimmerman, basically argued, as the family goes, so goes the so goes the society. As the family goes, so goes the civilization, and that civilizations that. And societies that are are flourishing, are growing, um, that are at the height of their creativity and progress are actually societies that are familistic. And that is that the institutions, the morals, the the politics, uh, all support the family they they all they all kind of put the family at the center of of things and work and structure things to support the family right and uh zimmerman identified kind of three um well i'll jump back to the three types of families but he he suggested that there were three functions of Familism or familistic uh, societies, fides, proles, and sacramentum, and that's fidelity, childbearing, childbearing, and indissoluble unity. And that's something that really yeah. stood out to you and struck you. No, it did Trey, because why? because because those would be the things if you read Saint Augustine or you read the early church with regard to marriage. We're talking. From the beginning, St. Augustine's going to be in the late 300s, mm-hmm. so we're talking you know, 1,800 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is saying, he would say, in fact, this might actually come from, this quote that he's using in terms of what he's talking about might actually come directly from St. Augustine, because it's something that he would have said. But it's fidelity and char- childbearing, but then when he's, that's his, that's his, um, I guess his, uh, translation of those terms, which I think are probably accurate. Mm-hmm. But then he gets to sacramentum and he says indissoluble, indissoluble unity. And what struck me was, is, well, I mean, and this is where there'd be some difference. We'd say, well, sacrament actually means more th- than that. It certainly does mean that. Um, but we'd have to extend it beyond just indissoluble unity. Number one, a sacrament for those who haven't heard, you know, is a an outward or a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Christ to confer grace. Because it's instituted to Christ, we can't change it. Two parts that are really important there. Indissoluble unity is kind of a, it's something that's lived, meaning you can't break what, what God has joined together, said at every Catholic wedding for sure, at many Christian weddings, Quote Christ Himself, what God has joined together, no man can put asunder, no man can break apart. Um, so there is a sense in which that is true, but we believe 
that that's because marriage is meant to be a reflection of God himself as Trinity, unity in diversity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And that's important to know that that the theology is actually pointing us to practical application, one of those things being that different people can and are called to, particularly in marriage, come together as one. And that's, again, the church would go, there are no longer two, but one flesh. And everything points to the sign that is marriage, which is, you know, ultimately the marital act that's intended for the marital act is a sign of that unity of becoming one, a sacrament, so to speak, of the invisible reality that we're meant to be one and indissoluble as one. And from that flows these other things. It's meant that they were meant to be faithful, like God is faithful, that we're meant to be life-giving in the midst of that unity, that love, that giving of oneself to another is meant to be fruitful, meant to have life. So there's much more depth here than he, than he adds. The last thing I would point out is a lot of people would look at indissoluble unity in today's culture and say it's not possible. You can't, I mean, you can't expect two people to come together and make a promise that they're expected to keep for all these years amidst this. Things can change. Mm-hmm. You, that's where the sacramentum <laughs> extended is that would be very difficult, possible, but very difficult unless we understand that grace Grace is made available through a sacrament, the sacrament of holy matrimony, and that that grace is God's power given to us, a participation in God's life, which is unity, which is love, which is life, that we are empowered to do more than we could do by ourselves and of our own will. And there's a supernatural side there that I wish, I don't think this guy would ever necessarily agree with. It's a participation in a sign that's actually been entrusted to us by God, which changes something as simple as fidelity, childbearing, and indissoluble unity into something that is ordered, because God ordered it that way, that is possible even in the midst of all the distractions because God is made it a sacrament, and because that sacrament provides the grace that's necessary. So you could have a conversation with this guy and say, yeah, you know, that's, that's really interesting that you did this. I bet you got this from St. Augustine. It's being, being familiar with, with that, and we would agree completely, but you're stopping short. And because you stop short, there are people who are going to say, yeah, but that's not really what it's about. And in fact, it's probably not possible. It's it's an un it's it's something that can't be realized or it can't be expected of a normal person. Well, we as Catholics would say we're all normal people, we're all sinful. If God if we will admit that this is what God wants for us, then He'll provide the grace, and the grace will forgive us, transform us, make us able to do things that we couldn't do separate from Him. I mean, if that's where you could talk with somebody like this and say you're stopping short. Agree completely with you, but you're stopping before you get to the real meat, before you get to the really amazing thing. Let's go a little bit farther and kind of go off in a little bit of a different direction. You know, as we approach um, the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, okay, and we know about I think more and more people are learning about the um, section 17, I think it is, that has his Pope Paul's predictions about right. the consequences of, of artificial contraception. Well, Zimmerman, writing here in the late 40s, so you know, well before the introduction of the pill, well before the publication of Humana Vitae, he wrote, quote, the 
that the very act of childbearing, quote, creates resistances to the breaking up of the marriage. In short, the basis of familism is the birth rate. Societies that have numerous children have to have familism. Other societies, those with few children, do not have it. So take that insight of this sociologist and match it up with yeah, I mean, as you as you say that, the two things that jump out is where we are with humanity. That's that's that is dead on. There is something that says, it, particularly the way it is. I think it's changing now. Even what he's saying culturally is there's there is a tendency to say, well, whatever I want is the most important thing. Um, nobody should ever tell me what I ought to do is is a common is a common theme so i think that while certainly in 47 and maybe maybe as recent as you know 15 20 years ago maybe even less i mean this is not scientific this is just me trying to put there there would have been a sense maybe it's 30 years ago i don't know but for some period of time there was an understanding of what a family is what it was there for, and that you would have the having children and having the marital act be something that is open to and children are a result. All those things are deals that point us in the direction of, hey, this is a big deal that I'm involved in here. Se- you know, sex, this is a this is important. Flip that to where Humanae Vitae is in the in the sixties, late sixties, where you have contraception beginning to come out. You 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 now you know in the early thirties, you had you had one one Christian church say that contraception again well defined you know inside a marriage for the right thing you know is okay in a non Catholic. Church, in that 35 years, what had happened is every Christian church, most every Christian church, the vast majority of Christian churches had said, yeah, contraception's fine. I mean, to de-link childbearing from the act that makes a marriage a marriage is okay inside a marriage. But what the what what John Paul I mean what uh, Paul the sixth is saying is if you ever take childbearing as do something to eliminate it or remove it from the act itself you're gonna have problems right. uh, among them you know uh, objectification of women which means you know pornography adultery is gonna increase children outside of marriage, every, all this is going to happen. And what happens is, is this. He's talking about from a culture that is saying that the family is the building block of society, which is exactly what the church has always said. The family is the building block of society. Right. The family is the cell that builds that. In the 60s or there, you know, prior to that, but certainly in the 60s, it came to really be central no, the individual is the most important thing. You know, if a, if a woman doesn't want to have a child but wants to have a relationship with this man, she doesn't really need to be married. She doesn't really need to be worried about it. So we're going to have a pill or have some other things that do it because what she wants is important. Or a man can have a relationship with a woman because what I want is this, but I don't want the ramifications of that, a child. I want the pleasure, but I don't want what what that entails so we've gone to a society that now would not agree with i I think in general would not agree with a statement that says that the building block of a society is the family I, i think you'd have people saying no it's the individual but there's nobody i don't i mean i don't again i'm not a historian but in in glancing at things just in passing I don't think you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find countries in the past that have had any success that have ever thought that there was anything different than a recognition 
that an individual can't even come into existence without more than one person. And if that's the case, just naturally thinking, we're not to, meant to be islands unto themselves. I mean, no man is an island. I'm an old English professor. I should know who wrote that. But, but, but the bottom line is, is everybody agreed with that. We're kind of walking on thin ice, untested water, I think, but predictable because Humana Vitae said what we're now experiencing marriages are going away. Why? Because family's not that important. I mean, or we can redefine it to make it mean whatever we want. So it can be a family is, you know, an unwed mother with her kids, you know, forget the dad. Or it is, you just name it. It's just being redefined. That's why we as Catholics, I think, have to engage them and and say, so what's been the experience of this culture (laughs) in this experiment of saying that the, that really the center, the uh, foundation of society is individuals and the individual's rights to the, you know, uh, over the rights of a family or the rights of a society. I mean, I, I think we're, we're right in the middle of it, but I think the, the, the dialogue begins with so how's it going you know how's, so how's that working out for you <laughs> yeah and let's let's go back into the article and I'm gonna kind of read pretty extensively from it for a time just because I think it's it's edu- this is yes. educational for a lot of a lot of people and I I certainly learned some things from it too um, so Carlson the author of the article he writes Zimmerman's thought ran sharply counter to the primary thrust of American sociology in this era the so-called Chicago school they focused on the family's steady loss of functions under industrialization. So again, this is early 20th century, kind of in the wake of the Industrial Revolution. These are, you know, this is progressive era thinking um, to both governments and corporations. As one Chicago school sociologist explained, many American homes had already become merely parking places for parents and children who spend their active hours elsewhere. Up to this point, Zimmerman would not have disagreed, but the Chicago School went on to argue that such changes were inevitable and that the state should help complete the process. Mothers should be mobilized for full-time employment. Small children should be put into collective daycare, and other measures should be adopted to affect, quote, the individualization of the members of society. Where the Chicago School was neo-Marxist in orientation, Zimmerman looked to a different sociological tradition, and then he he obviously uh, developed his his own theories in, you know, in contrast to this Chicago school. But what do you think about that, Trey? I, mean, that, well, that I think that's what I think that's what fits where we very are well right with it. That's with where what we you're are now. The whole the whole idea that the individual is that, and and again, so there have been and, and there have been conscious choices. I think what this speaks to is there have been conscious decisions and decision makers in the institutions of our society. Right. And I think, and, I, and again, you know, I can extend well it and say decades back. Yeah. And I can say that, I mean, I can say this, there's something a little bit insidious about what's happened. You can look back at it where somehow there was a, a, um, taking mom and being a mother and moving it down to, well, you're really not that productive. You know, you're not, you're not working. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's somehow demeaning to you're not you. earning a wage. You're not earning a wage. You're not. Pro- so what becomes the, if the idea is, is that we're trying to a family, even from a secular standpoint, it, per this, if a family is raising a family to, for what, and it, from a church standpoint to, it's a kind of an incubator. It's kind of we're gonna, we're preparing them for how do they enter into society. They learn how to deal with people that they may not like all the time. They're learning how to share. They're learning how in, how to be honest. What happens when you lie? How to forgive? How to be forgiven? In the context of that, that's the way it has always been. When you start taking mom out of the equation and putting her to work and dad again, not, I'm just when it starts becoming. Norm. We've actually just had a had a show talking about Zelie uh, Martin of uh, Saint Teresa saying that women may be called women and men, fathers and um, 
wives, mothers may be called to both work. So I'm, I'm not saying that. But when as a general rule, if you're not working, you're somehow less than you ought to be. Right. And really, we're just putting your, our finger down. We're holding you down. And what we're now we're going to do is we're going to free you. We're going to let you have relationship without having children. When we have children, we're going to provide a place for them to go while you go out and are productive. And basically just really just taking apart the family for the sake of productivity, for the sake of individuality, for the sake of freedom as license, not freedom as the ability to do what I ought to do, but removing any sense of what I ought to do from the equation. Right. And again, some women and husbands may ought to work. That may be what they ought to do. <laughs> but at the same time, they ought to raise their children. They ought to stay married. They ought, there's, there's lots of oughts. What's happening now is we're saying we need freedom separate from any ought to. Freedom is license. I ought to do what I want to do. And we're living in every philosophical thought, every idea has ramifications. And the extent to which if it, it takes over a culture, the fruits of those thoughts and ideas come. And I think we are actually living an extension of, of this author Zimmerman and this article writer we're now actually living in a place that does not agree with him that says that the family is not the fundamental cell of any society the individual is right that childbearing is a choice that we is not necessary for a family to exist even the church points to you know a husband and wife with children or pursuit of children, openness to children would be a family. But to just remove children as just being something, you know, I'll pull it off the shelf if I can, <laughs> that mentality, but it's what I want. You know, I want to do this. My family's secondary because they're holding me back. I'm not as productive or I don't get to do what I want to do. So you have husbands leaving wives or wives leaving husbands because I'm most important. That's where we are right now. So I, I would the thing that this that this points is 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 if you look at reality, which is the individual right now, I don't think anybody could argue against the fact that most this country as a whole, the laws and stuff that are going on have pointed to the individual is the most important, not the family. The individual is the building block. The interesting thing is, is an individual can't come into existence except from somebody without the involvement of not only just one other person, but at least an, a second. So humanity as a whole, life as a whole, communicates. The individual can't be, I mean, just from a logic standpoint, can't be the fundamental because they can't even come into existence by themselves. Yeah, and I'm going to, I'm not being uh, unpatriotic here, I'm not intending to, to do that, but I think we have to look square in the, the face and be honest that some of the values that the or principles that the country was founded upon there are there's unexpected right consequences to those that that individual rights and an, and an emphasis on the the individual as the fundamental player in in society um and you could has has had unexpected consequences well i think i think that's partially what has happened is i i don't think by the actions of the founding fathers or by what led to the founding of the country and this is why words are important this is why how you define words are important and how you are articulate them and and see them made manifest in decisions and whatever. That's why it's 
it's crucial that we get back to the fact that we can't just do 140 by we can but let's make sure we understand that that we do have to parse out things and make sure we understand them i think you're right but i don't think if you were had if you had george washington or ben franklin or even thomas jefferson sitting here the individualization they would say that's not what we meant when we were doing that. What we were saying is is that right, we need exactly. to protect that, but with the common good as being the ultimate goal. And you know, the God of nature, whatever the, whatever they used, this idea of something. There are self evident truths. There are things so much that they would just say no. There's well, they they know. took as they took as given, um, right the the significance of church and religion. They took as a given the significance and the permanence of local community, localism. They took as a given and, and as a, uh, with permanence that, you know, in, people would form different kinds of associations and groupings and that they would act on their interests and their behalves in those ways uh, and that those were good bulwarks against, right. you know, the state becoming too powerful. So they they took as a given that family, church, associational culture, just to name three, were almost attributes of society that were permanent. Right. They 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 didn't. And that's that's again. I think we have fallen and vital. I mean, they, they yeah they vital and but the the again that gives us something. To, to remember, it is important how we define things. It's in, it is important as a culture to, to look at what laws are being put out there and, and take the natural extensions of those laws and to be thoughtful people and to say it is important to know what we're saying and what we're not saying. Because I don't think that the church that originally said that contraception is okay meant what, where we're at. They didn't mean that. But they didn't understand that by doing that, from a logical standpoint, there are things that you can extend beyond that. If you, if you cross that line, there are a lot of other lines that can be crossed. You don't have to be a Catholic. You don't have to be Christian. It's logic. And so, but I, I agree with you. I think that, that we, you ha- we have to remember that laws and words and the way things are uh, framed does demand that we actually understand what they mean and that we actually thoughtfully think through, well, if we mean that and we do that, then what does that mean going forward? Paul VI was not a prophet because he had some divine inspiration that had him see all these things. He was a prophet because he knew what was true, what was good, and what was beautiful. And if you take that away, the foundation of that away, married, family, love and life being separate. If you if you separate those things, these are natural consequences that anybody should be able to know. The funny thing is, is most of society, when they read Humanity, thought this old man doesn't know what he's talking about. But he did. And we have that available to us. So I don't know if that... I yeah, and I think this, this article and... and uh Zimmerman's thinking, um, it it's not it's not it's countercultural. Right now, because, it's very because as Carlson explains Zimmerman's thinking, he Zimmerman is saying the family is about fertility. It is about generation. It's about bringing about the next generation and um, raising that next generation up in safety and um, relative security. Uh, security and preparing them to take the place of the generation that is passing away. And it's about continuing on the that particular c- civilization and the human family in general. And that anything, basically anything that cuts at that basic... Yes. Um, purpose, nature of the family, um, or any any kind of form of the family that's 
opposed to that to yes. that is not Zimmerman is saying is not proper it's not proper to call that a family. It might be something else. Right. It's not necessarily bad. No, that's what that, that's what's important for us to understand. There 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 is married love and married love from that flows family. That's the way it was intended. The church would echo with him and you could go back doesn't mean that a, a married couple that can't conceive children isn't a family. No. It's there there but they're participating recognizing that God's the author of all life. If they're living it out, you can live a married life without having children. Right. We're, so all we're, right. we're mean, more talking about you know, what are the norms of a society and what are the um cultural we've beliefs and we've of a society, not not well, does this particular example of of fit. how people organize themselves fit into the definition of family or, or this? We're not we're not labeling individual people and groups. But we don't make we don't make rules and change things for the for the for the exception. Yeah. We say this is how it is and then the exception is something that we have to deal I mean, we have to adapt to out of love right. and truth. Because there are situations that do that. But anyway, we are um we're at an end. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah, we probably have more to, to we may, talk yeah, we, about we on this op- to about, topic but, that we can revisit at another time. But um, yeah. So anyway, just um, just remember that we need to dialogue with our culture, and so um, also remember, um, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you, and He will. God bless you guys. Keep us all in your prayers, and we'll be praying for you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.